And welcome back to The Drop. This is your interim host, Michael Saramella. Danny was supposed to be back this week, but I think he got caught in a pit of quicksand. So, uh, yeah, best of luck to Danny. I, I hope he's out by next week. I think he should be, but um, we'll have to wait and see. In the meantime, this week, Buck and I are going to discuss everything that happened news-wise on the North Shore and in the rest of the surfing world. And later on, I'm going to chat with Stace Galbraith on the cusp to talk about basically what's going on in the world of competitive professional surfing. We're also going to get to a Kelly Slater story from a listener. Out paddles old, old Jimmy Slade, Slater, at about 8 o'clock or something in the morning, waited for the sun to come up. And, of course, a surf sin. There was one guy... He wasn't a good surfer at all. So sit back, relax, and welcome to the drop. Miguel Sierra Mella. How are we? I am I'm doing really well. Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing just great. It's it's a Friday in Hawaii, the sun's out, the waves are good, and yeah, it's been a good week. It has been a wonderful week. One that we will dissect shortly. Yes, we will. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit uncertain there. I mean, it's your third time in. You don't really know how the show goes yet. That's what we do. I'm still all flummoxed. I thought Danny was coming back this week. I just wasn't prepared for this. But I'm here, and I'm ready to roll. So let's, let's chat. He may have gotten eaten by cannibals. <laughs> um, or he's back next week. We'll see. Anyway, we're ready to chat. We're going to go straight into it then. All right. Here we go. Pipeline turns up. Australians touch down, and John John's hiding something. What's John John hiding? I think that's the you question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, episode three of the pickup by Stab and Vance on the Vans Triple Crown of Surfing. And I mean, the title kind of gives a lot away. Pipeline went crazy this week. Harry Bryant got here, which you could almost just feel his presence on the North Shore. I think the security at Turtle Bay would probably tell you that as well. They know he's here. They got his number already. Um, and John John's hiding something. Yeah, well, I think John John was hiding something when this episode originally came out. However, he has since revealed what that something is, which is... He's having a kid. (laughs) (laughs) No, maybe. Uh, I haven't spoken to his wife's doctor yet, but (laughs) that's maybe coming soon. We got him queued up later. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, but John John basically got two really, really crazy waves at Backdoor late last week, which he eventually entered into the Vans Triple Crown. So those scores have come in, and they are rightfully high. We basically had to go back and find a Surfline Rewind version, which we ran on our Instagram of the first one. And then, yeah, he is uh, currently, I think, leading the Vans Triple Crown due to those waves. But the interesting thing is that those waves now are almost kind of paling in comparison to what we've seen uh, over the past couple days because there's a new swell that's filled in and pipeline went pretty insane for the last couple days we are hearing a lot of talk about a crosby cola pinto wave and you're you're good at the surfline rewind thing you know your way around that oh you can find anything within like 10 minutes of us hearing about crosby's wave you're like yep got it (laughs) (laughs) and so the rewind cam doesn't have the best angle of it but by all accounts, people who saw it live, it was just ridiculous. 
Yeah, looking like a, a possible wave of the winter entry and looking like a really strong Vans Triple Crown of Surfing entry uh, for Cross as well at Pipeline. So that hasn't come through just yet. Hopefully it will soon. Hopefully someone other than Surfline got the clip and Crosby will be rightfully rewarded for his efforts out there. Maybe with a uh, Vans Crown Clip $500 gift card to one of the local restaurants. Dinner for two? Dinner for one and a half. <laughs> he can... You can feed Jacob Vanderwerk his filmer a little bit of food. But I did see Jacob this morning, actually, and I don't think he got the clip, but there was a man with a very funny haircut, which I was fond of. It's kind of like a bushy kind of rat tail thing in the back. Like I liked it a lot. It's a good look. But apparently he got it, and they were kind of just shaking their heads when they were talking about, like, oh, like couldn't even find the words, like, oh, like that <laughs> kind of wave. So I think it's going to be gnarly, and I think could Cross be a little, little dark horse triple crowny? I mean... If he already has like a crazy score at pipe, he can go out and get another, I'm sure. And his surfing is so well suited to Sunset and Haleiwa. Like, he could have a real push for the Triple Crown, can't he? Well, last year, he actually got some huge scores at Haleiwa. Um, I think he put up like a 27 and a 28 out of 30 out there. So he's definitely got that in the bag. Um, and there's a huge swell coming on sunday so in just two days basically around the time that this airs a new swell will be hitting hawaii that's like the first real proper big wave swell that we've seen since we've been here i think you know like waimea will break some of the outer reefs and that's when those psychopaths like to go to haleiwa and surf a uh, 10 to 12 foot ripple basically Um, yeah so yeah i think we'll see some entries from there coming in the near future as well I think so too, and I, I'm backing Cross. I'm backing him for the uh, for a potential crown. We'll see if he gets the crown clip, 500 dinner for one and a half, and then we'll see what he does. I mean, I wonder what he'll do with the progressive craft. I guess Hollywood's probably the best spot for that on like a big day. Who knows? I mean, it's going to be hard anywhere this well, but it'd be funny to see somebody pal out at like 12 foot sunset on a weird board, try to make it work. Yeah, I saw Dan Gadowskis out on a 4-2 at sunset the other day. 4-2. 4-2. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know they do that. Yeah, it's basically a lunch tray with uh, little skegs taped on the bottom. Did but... he get it from Ted's? It's right there? <laughs> I think so. Let's hope he didn't throw it up. I mean, you need like a 4-2 to like carry food from Ted's. That thing's fucking massive. <laughs> Big old plate lunch. The Florence brothers will serve firing pipeline all by themselves today and today, probably tomorrow, Maybe the day before, surely next week. I mean, this is this is the backdoor Dahui backdoor shootout, or if we're being correct, the Dahui <laughs> the backdoor shootout. <laughs> uh, we were down on the beach watching all day yesterday, and I'm just gonna say it: that's such a fucking cool surf comp. It's immediately my first time watching it in person. And it's immediately one of my favorites. Yeah, incredible and. Um, it's funny because when we started doing Stab High, that was like our first true event that we put on. We just felt like we had no idea what was going on. Nobody had any idea what was going on. Like the rules were so up in the air. And that was like a really similar sentiment to what I felt down at Pipeline. Like guys would get scores. John John gets a 10. And they're like, John John's got a 10 for now. <laughs> Might change later. <laughs> I know. So they can just change the scores whenever. That's the rule and they're open about it the whole time. They just on the webcast, on the live commentary on the beach, they just say exactly that. Like, yeah, I know, we'll look again and like maybe we'll go 11 because they do that. They they have a scale up to 12 
it sounds like they try not to go above 10. It sounds like it's like a special reserve kind of in case of emergency. But they were going there. I think so far Ball was the only one. Balaram Stack got an 11 yesterday, which was also hilarious because when he got that, the beach commentator, who I think is Kainoa McGee, um, he just goes, oh, that's going to be at least a 10. <laughs> <laughs> which... I just it just sounds so good to my ears. It's it's really music to my ears. At least a ten. It's great. Yeah, it's just great. And then what's really cool is the teams that are in this event. So it's a team event. You surf with your teammates. And this year, teams are comprised of so many different like types of groups of people. It's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. So like, give us a rundown of like who we have and like how you would describe that group as like a broader concept. All right, so it's eight teams, and we've got countries. We have got brands. We've got families. Uh, we've got genders, and we've even got a surf movie. I mean, we've got, okay, so brands, we've got Quicksilver and Volcom. Countries, we have Peru and Japan, which also, how incredible is that for just two kind of random nations, but it's sick. Like, like I don't know, just seeing like the camaraderie between the country teams is incredible. Especially the Japanese heat, which we'll get into. But, so the brands, the countries, surf movie, snapped, which they didn't even give it a, uh, they didn't even say snap for, they're just like snapped in general. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't get one of the snap one guys like Asher Pacey could have been. I guess he's not here, but, you know, throw him in the mix. Uh, gender, all female team brought together by the WSL, kind of, <laughs> I guess. They're calling it WSL team, but who really knows? All female. And then we have the Florence family who were very generous and made an adoption, which was very, very nice of them. Last minute adoption. Yeah. Uh, Eli yeah. Florence is now the fourth member of the family. Um, he sports an O'Neill sticker, which is a F- Florence family tradition, as we know. Um, and yeah, so Eli Florence joined the team, but we heard basically that it was really like a last second thing. Like the Florence brothers were really almost adamant that they were just going to be them three out in the water. And the other funny thing is they have their mom as the alternate option, (laughs) which, uh, yeah, I guess Alex Florence could get out there at any given time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the event's really like interesting in that way. So you like, you can have alternates on your team. So like the the snap four team obviously they have like 15 plus surfers to choose from so um their team right now is mason benji baron and parker um i know that aton i saw him this morning he was really eager to for somebody to give him the call up but i don't think it happened um so yeah and it's it's just so fun man and the other thing is that you basically go out with your team you try to get the best scores you can on an individual level and on a team level and the event period runs from January 4th to January 16th. And officially, I think they're supposed to only run for like four days of competition. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. But, officially. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think that the same rules don't necessarily apply to the Dahui Cruise. So basically, if the waves keep being good, they're just going to keep running, which is great for all the competitors. It's great for all the people at home who get to watch online probably not ideal for people like in hawaii who also want to surf pipeline and maybe get some vans triple crown scores but that is the uh the benefit of being a local you get to kind of make your own rules that's it that's it and they're doing it and they're getting crazy waves speaking of making your own rules interesting talk around some of the wsl stuff here because the wsl has that 
clause where CT surfers aren't supposed to surf in any other competition if it's not a WSL event. And clearly, like in the past, they've they've gotten you can get exemptions, and you know they're not going to tell you no if you want to surf in like a local event that's like especially for like a charity or something like they they can be pretty lenient. But in if we're being realistic, like pipes away that's killed more people than anywhere in the world. It injures people almost every day that it's on. And if there's kind of one wave that you wouldn't want to potentially injure one of your top surfers right before the season's about to kick off, it is pipe. And we saw a few CT surfers kind of uh, skirt that one, didn't we? Jack Robinson's in the fold. And John John Florence. Look at them and their little pretty exemptions. Didn't you dive into that one, Mikey? Yeah, well, I just reached out to the WSL to get clarification Essentially, John is able to surf it because he is from the Hawaiian region and there's sort of these like regional exemption clauses. Jack Robinson, on the other hand, is obviously Australian, so that wouldn't work for him. So he and Volcom basically submitted an application to get their little exemption waived and then they had to pay a fee and money talks. So Jack Robbo is in the event. But I heard that there were some other CT surfers who were a little bit upset by that. Maybe they didn't know how the whole system works. Maybe they didn't pay enough money. I don't know. But they wanted to be in this event, you know, maybe some Quicksilver riders and and uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, <I laughs> maybe Kanoe Igarashi wanted it on Team Japan. We don't really know. We don't know. We don't know. But I, we do know that I saw Leo Fioravanti in the water today, and I was like, oh, like you couldn't, you know, figure out how to get on Team Quick. And he was like, just pure anger in his eyes, as you would if you, as you would have if you knew that you were like so close to being able to surf, firing pipe and back door with three people that you're not even really competing against for an hour just like i didn't i didn't think we could do it like <laughs> um so yeah funny one there back to Kanoa though i don't think he's around yet but team japan were my favorite team yesterday they went so hard i mean it was like big old second reef waves shit was washing through and they were fearless they they did, yeah. The, I mean, there's one wave in particular that this guy took off on the Wakita Bowl, which I think it's brilliant that even when there's nobody else in the water, they just sit like 20 yards too deep. <laughs> <laughs> and he just came from behind this thing, and you could see the real section of the wave like lurching, and he just like tried to fit these tiny little pumps in to get enough speed to get through it, and then he, he just did one last little lurch forward and just shot through the whole thing, and it was incredible. Um, so, yeah, Team Japan. Also, Team Peru, just fucking sending it. Just goofy footers gone wild. Um, and, yeah, it, it's been... That, that was the best, like, full day of competition that I've watched live and in person since the 2019 Pipe Masters uh, between Gabriel and Italo. So that was really fun. I was down at the beach all day, pretty much dark till almost dark. And, yeah the backdoor shootout it's on for the next two three months <laughs> <laughs> yeah so keep an eye out it's uh it's here till march <laughs> i went out paddle boarding and a hard wind is pushing me out to sea B- buck are you okay <laughs> i'm okay i'm actually great i'm great because apple has officially entered surfing and their point of entry was the apple watch series 7 with an ad that they're trying to hype that you could like call 911 from it, I guess. And this fella went paddleboarding in a hard wind 
we call that offshore fella, is pushing him out to sea. How the fuck can you not fight? Like, where is this guy surfing? I I think we grew up in one of the places that has some of like the hardest offshore wind in the world. Like Jersey, when a storm passes and the wave gets good, it's like you get like 30, 40 mile per hour offshore wind. And like, if we could fight that on like five nines, I, I don't really know what this guy with his Apple Watch is doing. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, let's listen to the tape. National one, what is your emergency? I came on paddle boarding and a hard wind pushing me out to sea. Okay, do not hang up. <laughs> <laughs> How'd I do? Could you hear the fear in my voice when I delivered it, or did he have me beat? No, his his really seemed like it was coming from a core place. Like, I've started to feel a little bit more bad because, like, this guy clearly like was not in a good place mentally. Um, but God, it's just so funny to consider somebody out there. Yeah, it's just like, but it's like an offshore wind, right? Like, it can't. How could it be that hectic? On a stand-up paddleboard, like you have so much volume. You maybe know? he's maybe he's wearing like one of Kai Lenny's like suits that catches a lot of wind, and he's like turned himself into an accidental sail. Well, doesn't Kai? He just has the foil and then like a Red Bull wingsuit now, and that's just kind of how he lives. He's yeah. just either foiling or wingsuiting. Yeah, which which brings me, I guess, to the question of. Uh, at the end, he says, oh, I can see them coming, the, sa- the people saving me. You're going to see help, okay? I see them. It must have been either Laird or Kai, right? It had to be Laird, and there's that famous story of Laird saving somebody, I think at Jaws, where he was nude somehow. And so, <laughs> remember that one? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, there was a famous story, like, somehow it helped the rescue effort. Maybe someone was bleeding or something, and he had to, like... Plug a hole? And like, yeah, he had to plug a hole. (laughs) Jordy Smith takes us behind the curtain of his notable recovery. So this title comes from a clip by your friends at O'Neill, Silver Linings. That's their series that they're doing with Jordy. And uh, it didn't look fun for him, really. He got hurt right before the Olympics, missed surfing's first games, but he's coming back, and it could be Jordy's year. <laughs> Heard that one before, Mike? No, I don't think so. Um, no, I don't think I have. It's been, what, 13, 14 years of him on tour now? Yeah, 14. Yeah, okay. Well, um, you know, I was thinking, not to say that he couldn't do it on the shortboard tour. We all know he could, but he was looking pretty spicy on that 9-0 tri-fin longboard at J-Bay during his recovery period. Do you think that could be his, his transition move for the world title? I'm going to say Jordy could 100% win a longboarding world title. I've not watched it, but I know he could win. Don't you think? Like, he could figure it out. I think. I guess it depends on what the tour is, because as I understand it, the current like WSL longboard tour has gone full retro. Like, if your board wasn't made in 1970, you should go the fuck home. So he he might struggle under that criteria, but he, out here in Hawaii, he would be one of Du Bois. He would. And he, it makes me think, though, because I've always had this association between, like, Jordy Smith and Julian Wilson in my mind. They've been, like, they're the same age. Jer- Jordy's a little bit older. It's a matter of months. They're both turning 34 this year. And they both kind of felt like they're, like, when they're in that, like, early 20s, they're, like, holy shit, like, in the Taylor Steele movies, and they're just, like, untouchable looking younger kids on the thing they were like the new kids on the block and now George or Julian's on his like what did he call it a, a temporary what do you call that thing temporary break sabbatical sabbatical 
is he coming back from that? I don't know. And even if he does, like, I mean, you'd love to see him, like, you'd love to see somebody who, like, goes through, like, a really hard period, like, whether they get, like, addicted to drugs or whatever, and then they, like, get clean and they come back, like, a new revitalized person. You know, like, Andy Irons kind of did that at one point. But I just, like, Julian just seems to have, like, lost the energy. Like, I don't think he's got a drug problem. <laughs> well, basically. no, he was, he was on meth. Oh. <laughs> he's not on meth. But uh, I, we talked about this, Kelly. You need a crisis. You need a crisis. And he never, he was always kind of clean and perfect. I heard he had a great meltdown when they told him he had to ride for Hurley. I heard that, like, you know, he's on Nike. And they're like, yo, like, we're not doing Nike anymore, like. Here's a Hurley sticker. I heard he like stormed out of the house and shit. It was over here like years ago when they made that switch. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was not happy. Just um, doesn't doesn't like Bob or I think he just thought Nike was elite and he was an elitist and he was like, Fuck fuck you, Bob. I'm gonna go do some meth. That's Me- how he got addicted to it. It started it, there. Meanwhile, Jordy Smith turned down a huge deal from Nike, turned down a phone call from was it Jordan or Tiger Woods? I oh this both. this story, huh? <laughs> Where are you going here? I'm just trying to bring it back to Jordy, and the Nike thing seemed to make sense. All right, all right. That's a, that's a good one. But I brought up Julian because, like, isn't he actually a good longboarder? Like, he grew up in Noosa. Yeah. I think he, like, actually competed in longboarding growing up and shit. So if Jordy doesn't take it out this year, I think it's Julian's year on the longboard hang 10 tour. Exactly. I mean, that's like in, in golf, right? They have the PGA tour, and then they have the champions tour for guys over I think 50 years old and I think the longboard world tour is basically surfing's version of that like once you kind of can't really compete with the airs and all that that's going on in the CT you just transition over to longboard let's go okay <laughs> it used to be big waves where it was the safe harbor you just you know people start surpassing you with airs and shit and you're just like well I'm a big wave guy now <laughs> now no, it's uh straight to now different, it's different type of nino yeah yeah but that the Michael Jordan call thing you know, there is some talk about this. The story goes that when Jordy had that bidding war, he was on Billabong for a while, and he was a free agent. He even put out, like, a few crazy clips. I think they worked him into, like, a Stranger Than Fiction part or something, but he was, like, had those few crazy sessions with no logos on his board, and he was, like, the hot item that everybody wanted. And there was the rumor that Nike got, was it Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan to call him? I don't know, but there, I think there was, like, one thing from each of them. Like, somebody sent him, like, some golf clubs or shoes or something, and the other one called him. I forget exactly how it worked out, but it's kind of the same thing either way, right? Yeah, and then there's talk that he made it up. <laughs> oh, didn't happen. There's talk, and but there's also, like, if you worked for Nike in that time, and you're, like, tasked with bringing a surf team, like... You could fake that pretty easy, right? Just like send him some golf clubs, say it's from Tiger, write a little note. And who fucking he doesn't know Tiger's handwriting? Or like, I mean, harder to do a Jordan voice, but like you could find somebody. I'm sure even like Google, you could find like a Jordan voice actor, and then like <laughs> you're on your way, right? That'd be pretty funny. But whatever they did or didn't do, it didn't work. It Jordy worked. signed with O'Neill, as we know, and he's been with them ever since. And here we are today following his recovery in the latest episode of silver linings we get to see how the injury happened and then his basically said he was doing like eight hours of recovery each day which is unfathomable yeah it's that's called a work day for many people (laughs) (laughs) no but it is it is it's crazy and i'm sure like we've got an interview with him dropping on the site by the time this goes live check it out premium um 
and he talks about that and he's like it sounds intense it sounds like he's going all in and he's going his path to get here is insane yeah well he and he he is back like he is fully healthy you can see in the edit like by the end he's surfing j-bay at the same level that he always has and you'd have to think that he's uh he's trying to make his way over to hawaii right now to start 2022 off on the right foot and not on the wrong knee Oof. Well, it's going to be a long way for him. In that interview, he's highlighted that because for a while it was like thought that he'd have to go to Costa Rica for like a two-week little window because the U.S. wasn't letting people in from South Africa, and that was his way around it. But that's changed. But now he's looking at a flight from Cape Town to Johannesburg to Dakar to L.A. to Hawaii, and that's with a child and he says in the interview, it's all economy because travel is just really complicated right now. It's either too expensive or just too full. And so that's grueling. That is, that's hard. That's hard for me. And I'm a foot shorter than Jordy. Yeah, he's massive too. <laughs> he's not, he's not an economy guy. No, but yeah, you got three people. You got five different flights. You probably have to book them all separately at that adds up. That adds up. I mean, and the guy in front of you puts his chair down. That could injure the knee again when you're, you know, up at the high altitudes. <laughs> yeah, just check out the clip. Check out the interview. And uh, it could be Jordy's ear. <laughs> Liam O'Brien can cop a spray and throw some too. He proved both those things. One of them publicly. The other one, the copping a spray, which if you're not Australian means... Uh, Getting, what would you even say? Just getting assaulted? Berated. <laughs> getting berated? <laughs> by by um, an angry Frenchman. By an angry Frenchman, uh, who I love, Jeremy Flores. But, yeah, we've all seen him throw the spray, but Liam had a wild card into the Rip Curl Rotness Search event last year, and things were going well for him. He beat Felipe Toledo, he was on a nice run, but at one point he had a heat with Matthew McGillivray, who he trains with, and Jeremy Flores, who he does not train with. <laughs> and towards the end of the heat, he pretty much had the choice to go right or left. And Jeremy and Matthew were on both sides of him. And he ended up going left, which was Jeremy's side, and taking a really good wave off Jeremy when he needed to score, even though Liam was already like solidly in the lead. And uh, Jeremy let him have it. <laughs> he didn't... Uh... Didn't let that deed go unpunished. Well, we actually um, have a soundbite from when this happened. It was apparently, I guess, recorded by like a security camera or something. And, and yeah, we have this guy on the inside and he slipped it over to us. So yeah, this has never been heard before, but this is the um, the actual interaction between Liam and Jeremy. Oh, whoa, Jeremy! Oh, whoa, Jeremy, wait up! Oh, whoa, Jeremy, it's me! Liam O'Brien. Jeremy, hold on! Can I please have your signature? Please, I ran from over there so far. Shoo shoo. My knees, they sting. Go it. Go on, read some books. Oh my god. I can't believe Jeremy went after him like that. That was just like, I mean, he basically called him a nerd. Like, do you think that was called for? And why do you think Jeremy was so upset? Like, it didn't really seem like it was that big of a deal. He's already retiring this year and... I don't know. It just seemed like he really went all out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think there's probably an element of it, like, of, like, Jeremy's early days on tour, where that was probably just happening all the time. Like, I'm sure back in the day, people were a lot more, you know, you saw some fights and shit, like that one of Andy and Mick Campbell, 
in Hasegor, speaking of uh, French, <laughs> maybe it just brings it out in people. But uh, it's an interesting story. So Jed Smith wrote this one, and we read the title, Liam O'Brien can cop a spray and throw some two. And it opens with that whole story and about how it kind of was like a wake-up call to Liam about like, holy shit, like this is this is the big leagues. Like, this is for real. People really take this shit seriously. Like it's not... He said he was kind of starstruck the whole time anyway and then had that experience. He was like, oh, wow, like this is what CT surfing is. And then he went and qualified that year. And so it's a nice portrait of a 2022 rookie. And another fun fact about Liam, he was thinking about becoming a doctor. Like he's brilliant. He got a near-perfect score in his final exam in high school and he decided, ah, I don't want to be a doctor. I think I'll just be an engineer instead. But uh, gonna do this surfing thing first. <laughs> I guess you can't really say no to a CT spot and go be an engineer yet. But uh, what do you think pays better? Oh, probably being a successful CT surfer. Ah, there's probably some level of engineering that you could do that pays super high too. I guess. What do you think? Uh, yeah. I guess it totally depends. If you're low level CT, probably not that. But, of course, you don't want to go into it with that mindset, so... Yeah, if not, you can go be, like, top five engineer of the world. <laughs> Surf tour. <laughs> the engineer tour. Egyptians, they're good engineers. They are. Yeah, they're good. Not that great at surfing, though. No, I'm going to go check. I want to go, though. <laughs> We're going to Egypt. <laughs> so, speaking of Syrians, um, we started a little thing last week where... We shared our own Kelly Slater stories. And, you know, one of the main points that we talked about is how, like, almost everybody has a Kelly Slater story because anybody who surfs any sort of decent wave around the world has probably had Kelly show up at some point in time. And um, often at really random points in time, as we've kind of come to learn from a few of people who have submitted their own Kelly stories to us. So over the next few weeks, while we continue to roll out our 50 years of Kelly Slater uh, project on stabmag.com, we're going to have our readers of, or listeners of the podcast submit their own Kelly stories, and we will air them on the show. So we're going to get into the first one right now. Hey, Mikey. So my story with uh, Slatsy is um, I was with a mate, and we, we looked at the forecast, and we knew this wave in Oz was going to be on. So we drove through the night, um, like 12-hour drive or something from where we live, and anyway, we get there super early in the morning, um, suit up, paddle out, and we're surfing for a few, probably like a couple of hours. Um, and the waves were cooking, like it was huge, clean, like one of those real rare days that like, you know, you kind of only come across a few times in your lifetime. And um, yeah, anyway, so out, out paddles old, old Jimmy Slade, Slater at about eight o'clock or something in the morning, waited for the sun to come up. And, um, yeah, he pretty much just put on a master class in front of us. Like, it, it was probably 12 foot with, like, a few, you know, every every hour is probably, like, nearly 12 to 15 foot sets. Like, it was really big. And he was just, like, taking off deep, deeper than everyone and um, really playing with it, whereas, like, a lot of us were kind of just trying to survive it. So, yeah, it was really impressive to see him in the flesh. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of just the start of it. It kind of gets funnier from here. So... A couple other guys from home were down there and anyway um we came in about lunchtime and we're getting changed and um 
anyway, I get a call from my mate. He's oh, oh, um, Russ has been hurt. Like he's coming in. I, I just saw it. I was watching up on the cliff. And anyway, so we're like, we're looking at this ski come buzzing in, like from out kind of around the headland. And my mate's next to me. He's like, what's going on? He's like, is that looks like Slater's like like Slater's like humping Russ like what's going on there and we like look on the back of the ski and like no shit like like my friend Russ is like laying on this ski like it looks like he's unconscious and Slater's like doing this like power squat over the top of him to like hold him onto the ski and the ski's going like Mac 10 like the thing's going that fast and they fly into the beach anyway so we like run down to see what was going on and turns out um Russell was like not unconscious but pretty close to being unconscious he looked really bad um and he he'd obviously hit his head on his board and and come pretty close to drowning anyway so we all help and we drag him up and the ambulance turns up and he ends up he's he's all right like he was pretty fucked up really but he was actually survived and it was all good and then after that um ended up sitting on that bench in front of the waves watching um Philippe Toledo surf the final of Bells and um yeah it was it was me Kelly and and my mate kind of sitting on each side of Kelly and watching the comp on his phone and we were like trying to guess scores you know and Philippe got this wave and and I was like oh it's 7-5 or something And, and Kelly's like no he's like no way bro like They've scored up the whole comp. That that that's a nine. That's a, that'll be a nine for sure. And I was like, "Fuck off, mate! You're kidding." And anyway, score comes in, and it's a nine. And old Jimmy was right again. So yeah, it was pretty funny. He was, he was just like a real down to earth dude, and it was um one of those one of those days I'll never forget. And yeah, had a had a real memorable surf, and then um watched a bit of live surfing with with the goat himself. So that's my story. Thanks, lads. Love it. Love it, love it. And I love that we already got quite a few of these. Like we just, you know, we're less than a week into announcing this and we've got quite a few. So confirmed, everybody does have a Kelly story. Um, And this is a good place to start. We mentioned it before with the Laird and the hole and the, the humping, but it's an interesting story. And I think this got sent straight to you. Was he talking about Russell Bierke? He was, yeah. This is about that time that Russell Bjerke got really messed up down in, um, I guess it would be Victoria. Wow. And Kelly was just there. Of course he was. I would feel safer with Kelly in the water. Like, if I, if you know, it'd almost be that level of, of protection where you're like, if I go down, <laughs> this hero's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I've seen him sprint across the beach at uh, Aokai. Like, literally a beach packed with people who either didn't see what he saw or were not thinking that that person was in trouble, as Kelly did. He sprinted <laughs> from his house all the way across a super crowded beach to go, quote-unquote, save somebody who was maybe or maybe not caught in a rip. And then he got there, and it seemed like it was not much of an issue. But his his mind and his heart was there. Was it one of those things that like commanded everybody's attention? Like you saw him sprinting, everyone was like, "Oh, oh my god!" It went in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> Baywatch music started playing. It was the whole thing. But we've already got some great ones. I thought this is a great starting point, especially because it's a story some people may have kind of heard before. Like, uh, it's crazy. It was Russell Bjerke, and you can imagine the type of waves. You know, it's it's hard to really describe that wave in a voice note, but, like, it's probably really intense out there. Um, and we've got more good ones. Like, I, I love the range that we're getting already. Like, we have ones where kelly's this like really cool nice guy and then we definitely have one coming maybe we'll do it next week where 
this guy's not huge on Kelly after their interaction. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll get somewhere like that. But like we said, like, it's a guy that just like, you remember it forever. He doesn't. <laughs> He's just living his life moment to moment and somehow is making this impression on every single person he meets. I wonder if somehow he'll hear these and like they'll spark a memory. Like obviously he'll remember this one with Russell Bierke, but there's one, yeah, like coming up like next week that just happened in a French bar in two thousand five. That like there's no way that it, you know, is in Co- Kelly's conscious mind, but maybe these uh little voice memos will conjure some some memories for him. Well, I hope he uh feels good listening to this one and I hope that that, uh, I hope he at least gets to chuckle at the next one for next week. But if you got yours, submit them and also submit your surf sins because, yes, we are about to go there. All right, folks, it is time for another surf sin. And as always, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. There's multiple sinners here, I'm going to say off the bat. And I had to think long and hard about what to do with our friend here. So let's go ahead and have a listen. Hey guys, uh, my name is Lucas. I'm originally from Brazil, but I live in Byron Bay in Australia. And first of all, sorry about my broken English, but something happened to me in this, this morning that I wonder if I am the sinner or the other person was the sinner. So I just surfed Broken Head here in Byron Bay. It was like average conditions, chest, like waist to chest high, but kind of fun, like super clean, not much wind, left and right, like fast with some push. And there was not a lot of people in the water, but there was one guy, he wasn't a good surfer at all. He just had like a bigger board and he was getting all the waves those kind of people that doesn't have much surf etiquette uh, just get one wave go back out sit far out get the second wave like again and pedal he was pedaling like harder as he could like to get a one foot wave like I don't know and the thing is I got a few waves everyone was getting a few waves but you could see that everyone was frustrated with him because he was like destroying the lineup vibe and so when those kind of things happen when there's those people in the water that doesn't have a good behavior always like ruins my day I always keep thinking wow should I have told something to him uh, like hey man you need to share the waves a little bit take it easy there's not a lot of waves and like you just got one wave and you got back out like that's not how you do it uh, anyway so I wonder, like, am I the sinner that didn't say anything to him and let him, like, ruin my day? But now, because now I'm getting to work and I'm just going to think about this guy that didn't let me get the waves that I wanted and the other people as well. So should I have spoke to him? Or he's the sinner that he kind of ruins everyone else's surf and ruins, like, ruined my day now that I'm going to be thinking about this guy the whole time. So, well, that's it. Who is the sinner? Me or him? What should I do? Help me, guys. Thank you. All right. So, I think Lucas painted the picture here of something we've all experienced. And it is, without a doubt, the most annoying thing in the world. But he seems to really get, like, I, I, I'm really aggravated by it, but I'm usually able to let it go. 
Lucas doesn't sound so much like that. What do you got, Mikey? Yeah, well, like you said, something we've all experienced and something that, like, I'll admit, I've experienced on both sides of this. Ooh. Yeah, I've I've been the guy who, like, in a lineup where either I feel, you know, entitled to doing that because of where I grew up or because of maybe a skill level disparity between Ooh. myself and oh, the other yeah. people. Like, it just happens sometimes. You find yourself as, like, clearly the alpha in a lineup. And typically for someone like me, it's at, like, a fucking shitty, terrible wave and whatever. <laughs> the other people just can't surf. But... Yeah, it's just something that happens in surfing. And I can say, when I've been in that position, I actually appreciate somebody who, like, will come up to me and, like, maybe not berate me off the bat, but be like, hey, man, you know, like, I get it, like, you know, you can do this and you're from here, whatever, but, you know, we're trying to get waves too, and it'd be really cool if you would share a little. And when somebody does that, like, unless you're a complete fucking dickhead, all you can do is just be like, yeah, you know what, you're right, I just basically was, you know, because you know what you're doing when you're doing it, but you're kind of just, like, playing ignorant to the fact that you're doing it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but once somebody brings it to you in, like, a calm and, like, considerate manner, like, all you can do is just be like, yeah, you're right, I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, let's let's get a bit of a uh, little uh, taking turns thing going on here. I mean, I'm on the same page as you for the most part, but... I do think that there's like, so it's one thing when somebody's just like, okay, you could tell they're from there or they're just so much better at surfing than everybody else. And you're like, okay, I kind of get it. But like when it comes down to volume, even if the rest of those things are true, it's always such a target of hatred on your back mm. that you're wearing. That is the X factor. That's It doesn't usually factor in when it's me doing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, foam is your friend. It's everybody else in the water's enemy. <laughs> very true um and so yeah i interpreted this one as like it foam was the biggest driver of this not so much skill or or uh you know where he grew up whatever but fuck that guy he's a sinner because especially the big board so yes lucas that man is a sinner but so are you because surfing is fun i know we get sucked in these little things of competing for waves and all that but you're supposed to enjoy it and you're definitely not supposed to come in and have your day ruined. I hope that doesn't sound holier than thou because that happens all the time to all of us. It's just a fact of surfing. But it's a sin to do that. It's a sin to take something as beautiful as surfing and just let it rub you the wrong way. So my penance is you need to read a book. You need to read a book called Never Split the Difference. It's by this like hostage negotiator guy. That was his whole career. Like negotiating with like terrorists and shit. His name's Chris Voss, and he tells you how to negotiate. Um, from there, you'll be armed with the knowledge to diffuse a situation properly. I would love for you to do this, like really tap into that hostage negotiation thing and maybe like show up with a megaphone somewhere and try to call it out. Seems a bit much, but keep it in mind. I don't know. If you if you got a megaphone, do it. But if not, just you know, arm yourself up with some good nego- negotiation tactics, some skills, and uh, go out there and be the diffuser and make everybody's life better. We need them. We need you in the lineup. I think that's really good. It's for the benefit of all. Really, that's because, you know, you having a bad day, we don't want that. But it's also not going to change anything in surfing. However, if you can change the vibe and, like, overall sentiment of an entire lineup, like, you've actually changed the world. That's, the whole thing. That's 30, 30, 40 people who then interact with 
20 other people, each of them a day. And it's like this butterfly effect that is going to make the world a safer, happier place. Imagine if you do that to Kelly Slater and all the people that he affects. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think that's a really good one, Buck. But um, I actually had a totally different idea on this one. Ooh, like it already. So um, yeah, Buck's idea could be considered kind of like a positive reaction mine might veer a little bit more to the negative side um, but I think you, you're going to actually have to use some of the same skills that you're learning from his book but basically what I want you to do when this is happening is you start a bit of a cohort with the other surfers who are aggrieved out in the lineup and you start basically blocking this person systematically so you have people sitting on either side of them and making sure that they can't go right, they can't go left, and that if one wave is going to come, that they kind of squeeze them in a triangle formation, and they can't get it through. So if all you need is three people. You need one person to block left, one person to block right, and one person to paddle more or less in front of them who will get the wave, and you just keep this going the entire time, and they'll never get another wave, and they'll get extremely frustrated and either confront you about it, and then you get to basically say, oh, yeah, how do you like that? Or they just leave, which is really a win for everybody. Um, so yeah, more more kind of tactics, just in a, maybe a little bit more aggressive and or passive aggressive side, because you're not technically addressing it to this person directly, but you're just letting them know that this is what's happening now. I like that too. I mean, imagine if more people thought like that, just running a lineup like that. I know, like at certain waves where you can split a peak, people kind of do that, but I like that one. So work on that, Lucas, or get the megaphone out. Then just, you know, talk them out of it calmly, smoothly. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Either way, thank you for the surf sin and good luck on your healing journey. Uh, the future looks good for you, buddy. You're going to heal up. All right. So as always, you can submit your surf sins to Buck and Danny. That's Buck at RollingYouth.com and Danny at RollingYouth.com. We'd love to hear all about the bad things you've done in the water or outside of the water, but we also want to hear your Kelly Slater stories. We're going to be dropping them for the next few weeks. So please submit them, turn them in, and maybe, just maybe, you will get yours live and on air. Now I'm going to chat with Stace Galbraith to go over a few things that have been happening in the world of the WSL, including an injury from a top 10 CT surfer. And we're also going to air our own Stab Surfer of the Year picks live. Um, so stay tuned. And here we go, straight into the Stab Cuts. And welcome back to the cusp. You are probably sick of hearing from me by now, but here I am anyway uh, with my co-host Stace Galbraith. Stace, obviously back in Australia. Um, looks like I caught you in the middle of a uh, another lifeguard session. Another beautiful sunny. Nah, I'm talking shit. It's been sideways rain on the Gold Coast for about two weeks now, but that's not too bad because that usually brings a fair bit of waves. So. Yeah, don't let the weather fool you, Mikey. Yeah, tell me about that little Kira swell you guys just got. Was it as good as it looked? Um, yeah, I mean, it's always good for a three-minute video on Instagram. Um, and for sure, no doubt, there were some psycho waves going down. But um, I went out with a friend, and we both gave it a 6 out of 10. So I'm not too sure what that means, but I feel like if you're Parco or uh, Mikey Wright uh, or Geordie Watson... <laughs> They would probably say it was a bit higher, but I think for just a regular bloke, it was a little bit lower. But for sure, it's an amazing, it's a special place. Like, all the points along here, when they're good, you're kind of pinching yourself going, holy fuck, like, 
I ducked over one wave actually that felt like it thought I was a neas or something. The water was a bit brown and it was a it was a fucking heavy one. But yeah, it's uh yeah. Don't let the internet fool you. Long story short. What were you riding? Because it actually looked like almost like the tallest Kira I've ever seen. Like it just looked big. It was big and weirdly like Armandy in the morning. Um, I was riding a six-two channel bottom from Dale Wilson, like a Burning Spears. It was definitely the right board, I feel. Um, and it was a mixture of paddling and stepping off in the morning because the morning was like the biggest I've seen it since Cyclone Omar. Like it wasn't good, but it was just a lot of consistent swell. So many washthroughs. Um, no one was paddling. And then once the tide filled in and the swell dropped a little bit, that was when you started seeing those clips and that's when everyone started paddling and it was definitely, yeah, I felt like the right board for the day for sure. Uh, and then Parker and Mick, they were all riding quads, looked like probably one or two inch longer than what they'd normally ride. And, and yeah, they were, they, were, they were working for those two. <laughs> <laughs> wow, go figure. Yeah. So Kiraswell looked great, but I saw you surfing like one foot snapper on Stab's Instagram. What was that all about? <laughs> um, I'm actually still icing a clip from one foot snapper because I'm too scared to post it because snapper's been like eight to ten feet and Kira's been about six feet so I, I might I might let the heat die down a little bit before I put up the one footer again uh, but yeah I was riding a um, an EPS rad ripper um, they call it a light speed epoxy uh, from Mayhem or Lost Surfboards and um, fuck I'm not the biggest fan of short wide epoxies but I love this thing. I can see why everyone rides them. It was really easy to surf. Um, definitely, you want a little bit of extra speed when you're riding sort of shitty summer waves. And this thing had it for me from in spades from the, from the get-go. Um, you know, the only one thing I kind of found a little bit with it was that when the waves were really steep, it got a little bit catchy in the pocket just because there is a lot of width under your front foot and a lot of foam. But... It's almost like you've got to sacrifice something. You can't have it all. So, you know, what this board brought was, you know, ample speed, heaps of paddle power, and, you know, it didn't feel like I was riding like a really short board, um, uh, you know, when I was riding it. So, yeah, no, it was, it was good. And then um, I, I like to change the fins up a little bit, but I'm on this bit of a journey at the moment with like seeing how small of a fin I think I can go and I rode the AM1 black sticks and I think that's my fin I always thought I was an AM2 guy but I think the AM2s are way too big for me I I noticed such a big difference once I dropped the fin size down a little bit Uh, and I thought in the clips it didn't look skatey or anything so yeah I was stoked on how those fins went yeah I used to try to convince myself I was a size 9 shoe but it just wasn't true (laughs) (laughs) I'm an 8 maybe a a 7.5 really but I'm I'm sticking with 8 oh I love that Uh, but yeah no super fun board Uh, I've been riding it heaps since the since the the board test so yeah uh, hopefully it lasts me through to next summer yeah, so if you want to check that full uh, joyride out, you can find it on Stab Premium. And on to the next. We recently learned that Iago Dora has been injured, and he's undergone surgery called Liz Frank surgery, I think. Um, I yeah, I don't exactly know how to pronounce it, but it's a part of your foot, essentially, that he has broken. So, uh, yeah, we did a little bit of research into this, and we actually found out... Um, 
a little bit about how this all plays out with the CT season. And what was most interesting to me is like how it affects somebody going into the first half of the year, not when there's a mid-year cut. Because normally you miss a couple events at the beginning of the season. It's not great, but it's also not the end of the world, right? Because you have eight events left or whatever to make up that space. You have two throwaways. And now Yago is in a bit of a situation. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a, I'm sure, well, I'd hope there's protocols in place because I think particularly someone like Yago, he's just starting to hit his straps, you know, starting to look really comfortable on tour. Ninths and fifths place are starting to become consistent for him. And that's when you start turning results into wins, when you're consistently finding yourself there on the finals day. So I just feel it's just terrible timing, but... Hopefully there's a silver lining in it for him. And um, I guess what we're kind of angling at here is that we hope he gets a shot at the second half of the year. Um, You got any intel on that? Yeah, so here is what I was able to glean from the WSL rulebook and also reaching out to um, a source within the WSL. So as we know, the first five events will determine which 22 male surfers move on to the second half of the year. And that's also the people who will move on to the 2023 championship tour. Everybody else will be cut and they'd have to re-qualify via the Challenger Series. So in Yago's situation, it seems fairly unlikely if he misses the first two or three events that he's going to make it in that 22 cut line. It is totally possible if he gets a couple quarters in a semi or, or something like that, he, he could easily jump up there. We saw Slater requalify, surfing just three of seven events last year. But it's going to be difficult. So if he isn't able to achieve that, um, there's a couple of things that could happen. One, he could be granted a season wild card for the 2023 championship tour. The WSL has two season wild cards to give out each year, and they typically go to surfers who were either injured, which would obviously apply to Iago, or kind of people who have established themselves on the tour and just missed the cut for whatever reason. So you'd look at somebody like Owen Wright this year, um, who didn't make the cut in 2021, but because he has been on tour for a decade and he kind of just missed that cut line, they're giving him a second chance. But, like I said, that would not give Yago any CT heats for the back half of the season. But the other thing is that for each CT event on the back half of the season, the WSL does have two event wildcards to give out. Sometimes these go to sponsors, sometimes these go to kind of local wildcard situations, but ultimately they do exist for those final five events. So, in theory, they could work out a system where Yago is getting one of those in a few of the events, all the events none of the events, whatever. So those are kind of Yago's options at the moment, assuming that he can't make the top 22 after missing the first two or potentially more events, which he basically told us it's two is the minimum that he's going to miss. Yeah, so you'd imagine going off John John's run, he's not that likely to get injured this year because he's already had his injury year. Um, Injury years. Yeah, does he go two on, two off? Is that sort of how he operates? Uh, I think John John's missed part of all of the last three years, hasn't he? And the reason I say this is because if you're a surfer in Yago's situation, you just really don't want any of the top dogs to get injured because that's when your position can become uh, vulnerable. And I think we saw that with Courtney Conalogue on the women's tour a few years ago. Um, so, yeah. I hope that uh, I hope that he can get back on and just requalify himself because, like I said, I think he's got some great momentum at the moment. 
Yeah, I mean, 2021 was the best year of his career by far. He made the top 10 in the CT. Um, he put out a crazy video part that's currently right up there in the running for the best edit of the year in our Stab Surfer of the Year poll. He won that QS at the end of the year in Brazil. So he was having an amazing year. Um, and yeah, it's, it's unfortunate to see this happen, but it does provide an opportunity for another surfer. Um, so somebody is going to fill his role in those first few events of the season. And if that person is able to get good enough results in those events to either qualify for the top 22 after event five or just enough to kind of sway the WSL's opinion that they should be getting more um, kind of goes on the CT, then they could either earn themselves more event wild cards for the last two or three events of the first five or just automatically qualify themselves for the back half of the year. And according to the WSL, it's looking like that surfer is going to be Matt McGilvray from South Africa. He was a rookie last year. He missed the cut by one spot. He was actually ahead of Owen Wright, but Owen got preference over him just because Owen's been on tour for a decade. And yeah, Matt McGilvray looks like he's going to have a spot in Pipeline, Sunset, and potentially beyond. I think that if Matt McGilvray was ever going to get a couple of wild cards to start the season... Uh, Hawaii is an amazing place for him to potentially try to weasel his way into that top 22. Um, He's not scared. He'll swing and go if pipe's good. And he's really, really strong at sunset. So I think he'll be stoked with this opportunity. Yeah, and he's actually been out here since Haleiwa. Like, he hasn't left because the situation in South Africa is really tricky. Once you go back there, it's basically a real hassle to get out of there and back to Hawaii again. So he just said, screw it, I'm setting up camp. Um, Yeah, look, I think he'll he'll be stoked. And I know a lot of those Aussies, um, they enjoyed coming home. But I don't think Matty McGivray's been home for more than five minutes in the last three years. He's just gone full couch surfing gypsy. Yeah, I think you kind of have to if you're South African. I was actually chatting with um, Beric DeVries yesterday, and he says he hasn't been home since April. <laughs> he did the whole Challenger series and has just been kind of also couch surfing since then. He was uh, on the beach yesterday at the backdoor shootout hawking surfboards for a commission fee. So he's just making it happen. Getting it done. <laughs> what, a, what a weapon, yeah. I think Beric will be enjoying himself. No complaints there. Speaking of um, edits and Yago's edit and whatnot, I was just looking for your votes. Have we seen your votes yet? No, I just finished compiling my votes for Stab Surfer of the Year. I know yours actually went out uh, today, and I had a good read of them, but I was hoping that you could kind of air them live here, and, and I'll do the same right after you. Oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. I, you're kind of cheating, though. You can't be, like, compiling lists once day one starts. That was, that's got to be, you know, a, you know, you're kind of cheating, right? You're seeing everyone else's, like... That's obviously exactly what I did. I didn't want to be caught out for like forgetting someone or <laughs> not doing my due diligence. Yeah, so I've been um, studying meticulously everybody's answers and curating the perfect list. Perfect. I like it. I wish I had done the same thing. I did do one thing, though. When Peter Mel rode that wave at the start of the year, I made a note in my phone then. <laughs> Just- Make sure I chucked him in this year's voting just because I think he rode that wave on like the first week of January or something. And I'm like, I'll for sure forget about that unless I make a note about it now. But then obviously the film Everything and All was made and I think it was a good reminder for everyone. But yeah, I I had to make a special note of that because um, yeah, I'm always a shocker for forgetting, forgetting good performances, especially if they happen early in the year. 
You're a good man, Stace. All right, well, without further ado, why don't we just jump straight in to your top five women? Sure. Uh, I'll go from the bottom up. Uh, Moana Wong for number five. Uh, I think, yeah, she's super strong out pipeline, and I love the fact that she she got stuck in out there without needing an event to go and run there. Um, she was already leading the charge. And I think we saw that just recently um, with the Dahui backdoor shootout. Uh, she had an opportunity there to surf the team WSL and did an amazing job and, you know, good on her. Number four, I've got young Aussie Molly Picklum. Uh, Pickles is a real character and I think no doubt she'll qualify for the tour one day. I, you know, she narrowly missed out this year, but I think... This could be one of those things in five years' time, she'll look back on that and it could be the kind of thing that, you know, I always think that she's going to have a strong career, but having this sort of heartbreak like this, it could be the thing that really fires her up to to knuckle down and, and not just come on the tour, like really qualify and come on and just be going for titles straight from the bat. So a bit of heartbreak for her at the moment, but I know she'll be she'll be fine in the long run and looking forward to seeing her on tour one day. Then number three, a young American, Alyssa Spencer. Uh, she also narrowly missed out on qualifying for the tour. But for me, earlier in the year, there was a lot of lockdowns across the world in, in different countries and different places. And, and uh, she was on the forefront of her community, helping out with you know food for the you know the less fortunate and stuff like that. And I, I thought that was something that was pretty cool and um, you know good to see uh, a young surfer like that giving back to her community. Uh, without really asking for anything in return. So that was that was really cool. Number two, Katie Simmers. A huge fan of her style and sort of how she approaches the wave. I think that she is going to come onto the tour in a really tricky time. She's going to go straight into Pipeline and Sunset, which I think she'll have fun at, but I would say her strength probably lies through the European leg and maybe when she gets out um, to some of those other waves around the world like Trestles and stuff like that, but... I just love the way she surfs in those beach break conditions and I'm um, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing her develop on the tour. And then number one for me, a little bit biased, but I think Malia's performance uh, out at the box earlier in the year in West Oz was an amazing one. It, I sort of was fortunate enough to sort of see her over the years get there, eye it off, really want to surf it, but also want to do well in the comp. And there was never really talk of the women surfing there. So their kind of risk versus reward wasn't quite there. But then this year it was cool to just see her go out and go, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care if the comp's going to run out there or not. It's a slabbing, barreling right hander. And I love that shit. So to see her paddle out there and go and do that was wicked. Um, and then her performance in Mexico was, was unreal. Um, you know, second to Steph Gilmore there. And that was the best I'd ever seen in a Jersey. So, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing her come onto the tour this year and, and hopefully carry that momentum on from Mexico. Got it. Okay. Pretty good list. Definitely left off uh, a certain notable person who achieved more than any woman ever has in the history of surfing in one year, but that's okay. Uh, I'm going to jump right into mine then. All right. Number five. I got Justine DuPont. Um, I don't really care about big wave stuff that much on the day-to-day, like the Nazare stuff I could care less about, but her one wave at Jaws was so psycho. Like, I don't know if anybody else got that deep in the barrel at Jaws in 2021, so I feel like that certainly has to be recognized, especially in a lineup that's just so difficult with skis buzzing everywhere. Like, that was just insane. Number four, uh, Moana Jones. 
I just kind of love watching her at pipe, like it's pretty obvious, but I wish more women had her level of hunger to surf that wave. And even if there aren't right now, I think what she's doing is inspiring the next generation to really just be kind of like hard charging and have that mindset. And I think that that's really important. So she's on my list. Number three, I have Aaron Brooks. Um, Aaron won Stab High, the Ladybirds division, as we know, um, doing what was maybe the best air ever done by a female. Um, and yeah, you could say Carissa's, you know, was higher, bigger, or cleaner, or whatever, but just the difficulty of Aaron's, she was going downwind and threw in full rotation to the flats on like the sketchiest landing ever and rode away. Um, and Coco Ho made the point that basically Carissa's air is better because she's just bigger and things just look better and more impactful when you're a bigger person. So I think once Aaron grows and fills out a little bit, she's just going to be ridiculous. Um, and she also scored some crazy barrels in Kandui this year, put out an awesome Waco edit. So yeah, huge ear for Aaron. Next, I have Katie Simmers, um, just like you, number two. Uh, she's the second youngest person ever to qualify for the CT, and she did it by accident, which I think is hilarious and awesome. Um, and Katie didn't win Stab High Ladybirds, of course, but to me, she was the most impressive to watch just surfing overall on that trip. Like, she's just so incredibly polished from tubes to turns and even to her airs. Like, she did this straight air that I still think about. It's just so clean and perfect. Um, so, yeah, absolutely huge year for Katie. And number one, I just, I can't not give it to Carissa Moore. I feel like it would be historically negligent. Um, she obviously won the Triple Crown, she won the World Title, she won the Olympics, and it just doesn't get better than that. So, yeah, well done to Carissa Moore, and well done to all the females. Yeah, Julie noted she certainly had a huge year and has been stuffing big, big barrels out of back door the last couple of days. So, yeah, like I said, it's a hard list to compile when you look at it before anyone else votes. <laughs> yeah, I told you, a perfect list. All right, who do you got for the men? <laughs> no, that was a very, very very well put together list. Number five, Harrison Roach. Uh, he narrowly missed out on winning a longboard world title this year. Uh, lost to Joel Tudor, which there's no shame in that. But, uh, yeah, I'd be stoked to see Harry win a title one day. I think that, um, you know, the true hallmark of a professional surfer is someone that can ride... Um, you know, any board, any time, anywhere. And Harry is one of the few that can do that. Um, he doesn't look like a longboarder shortboarding and he doesn't look like a shortboarder longboarding. Uh, did I just say that twice? You know what I'm trying to say. He can jump on anything and, and make it look, you know, supernatural and he fucking charges and, yeah, uh, I'd, I'd be stoked to see him lift a, lift a title one day. Uh, number four, Pete Mel. Um, yeah, for basically the, the ride of a lifetime. Uh, that wave at, at, at uh, Mavericks was, you know, yeah, I don't know, just one of those things where the stars aligned and, and he rode the wave perfectly and, you know, stoked to see that pay off for him. Been surfing out there since, you know, basically it came on the map and, you know, stoked for him. Number three, Kolohe Andino. Not for his necessarily competitive prowess this year because then fortunately there wasn't a lot of it, but the move that he put together with all of his mates and then toured it through America and just stoked out all those groms, I thought that was such a cool thing. And, and um, you know, I think he invested a shit ton of his own coin in that, which, you know, well done. I, hope, I think it came back in dividends for him, hopefully signing a, a monster new deal with O'Neill. And, you know, I think that had a huge part in, in doing that, you know, putting his name and brand out there and, um, you know, good on him. Number two, John John. Um, 
you know, his maps of home edit was just off the charts. Uh, and I think seeing him in the early season of the North Shore already this year, you can just see, you know, when we don't see him for a while, I think it's easy to forget how good he is. But then a healthy John John is just, you know, the best. Number one for me was Gabriel Medina. I just think the savagery of his competitive skill set is maybe... I probably was a bit young to really appreciate Mick when he was winning his titles, um, but I think it's it's must be rivaling that, if not more savage. He's just... When he's in the zone, he's so tapped in, he doesn't make mistakes, and he's just consistently fucking annihilating people. He's not just beating people. He's No one's even come close to him. So... Yeah, I'd love to see him and John go all the way this year and have a, a final together uh, for the world title. I think every surf fan on the planet wants to see that. Uh, so, yeah, for me, Gabriel, uh, by a long way, just given that John John, unfortunately, didn't have a full year. All right, fair enough, fair enough. And, yeah, I, I share your sentiment on the WSL finals. And... As I understand it, the WSL will be announcing the location of that event prior to the start of the CT season, so we can look forward to that in the coming weeks. Um, any guesses? I've heard Lakey Pete get thrown around, but I kind of hope it's not. Uh, just in September, I'm not sure that it's amazing, but it's kind of cloud break season just. A bit late, though, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I really don't have any guesses. Um, is Mexico on the calendar? I don't think it is. I think it might be somewhere in Indo. I also heard Mexico might be an option. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll just wait and see. And in the meantime, my men's picks. So for number five, I have Robert Kelly Slater. Um, just for the efficiency of his year. Like, he competed in three events and requalified easily. Um he also, to me, outsurfed all of the WSL finalists in the lead up to that lowers event. There were some kind of like single day edits from lowers that dropped where he was just like doing things that I couldn't even comprehend and drawing lines that were so unique. And he's just, even at 49 years old, he's just so exciting to watch every single time that he paddles out. Like, as far as heats go, like he's easily in my top five of people whose heats I want to watch in pretty much every single event, and for him to be doing that at this age is unheard of. So he is my number five. Number four, Taro Watanabe. Uh, last year, my Instagram passion pick was Rio Waida. This year, it's Taro, um, because I just can't stop watching clips of him surfing, which if you follow Stab's Instagram, you basically see that bleeding through a little bit. He gets posted <laughs> quite often. Um, if you don't know him, he's basically a 19-year-old kid from California, and he has been working pretty much his whole life with Brad Gerlach as a coach and sort of technique coach, and I would imagine strategy coach as well. Um, and I love that he's not just going out of his way to like chase the queue and try to get on the CT as soon as humanly possible. I think he's like really trying to develop his surfing first, and I think it's going to pay off for him in the long run. He's already one of my favorite people to watch surfing, and he's only going to get better. So yeah, Taro Watanabe. Number three, Felipe Toledo. Um, basically, in my mind, Felipe could have surfed one time this entire year, and he still would have made this list, assuming that one time was the WSL Finals event at Lowers. Um, 
the the level of surfing that he was performing on that board with the quad it was just like i don't know again just people drawing unique lines to me is is what's going to push this sport forward and he was doing things that i really haven't seen from anybody else um and i know this is a bit of a controversial opinion but i truly do believe that if gabriel hadn't had such a dominant year on tour and the judges' minds weren't kind of subconsciously veering toward having him be the winner, we really could have seen a different champion from that event. Like, if you go back and watch those heats again, it's not as far apart as those numbers make it seem. So, yeah, Felipe Toledo, pretty much for just that one day. Number two, Gabriel Medina. Um, Obviously, he, like you said, he had a competitive year like nobody in recent memory. Um, He made six of eight finals and just pretty much dominated the entire tour. Uh, The only reason that he's not number one is I don't think he did as much to push the sport and the just the simple, the the motion of surfing forward as much as number one. Um, Gabriel's an incredible competitor, and he does some of the biggest maneuvers, but... I don't think that he's necessarily like doing things that make people think super differently in terms of pure performance on a wave. He's more of like the competitor who also has the talent, but the next person is the talent who happens to be competitive. And that's John John Florence, number one. Um, Again, I said Felipe could just basically do it on that one day. For me, John's one wave at Haleiwa could be enough to just put him at number one, just because I think that that's where the future of surfing lies. It's this combination of kind of control, speed, power, progression. Like, it's everything all at once put together seamlessly, and I think that that's where surfing is going. And I know that this sounds like a contradiction to me saying it shouldn't have been a 10, but um, I do think that that was probably the best wave I saw ridden from end to end in 2021. So I think that that's pretty much it. And also, I know that this kind of comes in after the fact, but the surfing that I've seen John doing at Rockpile recently, and of course in past years as well, the level that he's at out there compared to any single other human I've ever seen paddle out there, the, the difference between them is so great that that to me goes to show that he is truly the best surfer in the world. When you can make a wave look amazing and everybody else makes it look terrible, I just I don't know any other surfer that can really do that any other wave. So to me, he's the best surfer in the world, and hence my number one. Brendan Moggison at Rockpile's. Well, okay, any surfer of this era or the one before it. Or the one before it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just yanking your chain. He's fucked up. Um, And, yeah, I I, I definitely agree with you in that you are losing the plot when you don't give that wave a 10, but that's what you think is the best possible ever surfing. So you might just need to look in the mirror there. But, yeah, he's definitely... It's John and Gabriel, right? They're just... For everything that Philippe can do, there's something that those other two have that it just is on that next level. Um, so, yeah, I just hope for a healthy year for all of the, the top contenders, you know, including Italo and, and, and the new guard, Kanoa and Griff, that are coming through and, and anyone else that wants to insert their name in that top five. And I'd love to just see an all-out bloodbath for the 2022 season and, yeah, have everyone firing on all cylinders. Awesome. I'm glad we see some similar things in that. All right. Now, real quick, let's uh, let's run through our juniors and our film and edit picks. So, sure. Well, ahead. yeah, quick one. Like I touched on it before, but Pete Mel, everything and all. I think there's so many good stories in surfing that probably haven't been told. And to see this one 
and Pete be so vulnerable and raw and, and honest on screen is like I wouldn't imagine that's an easy thing to do to put yourself out there like that so yeah uh, good on him and, and good on everyone that was behind that um, there's a, another documentary that was made a while back by Josh Palmer called The West Siders so if you like the Pete Mel one go and check that one out I think it's just on YouTube it's just another look into that Santa Cruz uh, scene and uh, you know yeah there's some amazing surfers and some amazing waves up that way so yeah good, good on Pete and then for the edit look this is a really hard one because I was a huge fan of Craig's edit I think Andrew Doheny's edit with Dane was an insight that to Dane we hadn't seen a lot of to see him in that big brother role which he obviously is doing now in this part of his career but to hear him on the phone to Andrew with that kind of sketchy phone recording and sort of playing that father figure it was super heartwarming <laughs> I've never heard Dane kind of talk like that before so that was another standout for me but my pick is Harry Bryant in Biohaz just for the fact that he made me want to fucking go surfing and, and I think that that's the one thing you look for in edits right uh, um, just he makes surfing look fun he, he's, he's, a, he's a character and um, yeah I'm looking forward to seeing his clips out of Hawaii this year and then my juniors I went Zali Kelly uh, there's a lot of young women doing airs in wave pools at the moment, and uh, I'd love to see Zali in a wave pool one day, but for the time being, she's pushing the limits in the ocean. I think it, it's cool to see, you know, she's doing it without being asked. It's a, it's a dream of hers, and then she's chasing it pretty hard, and you can kind of tell it's authentic. You know, she wants to learn and do airs because it's what she wants to do. It's not because she's seeing other people doing it. Uh, and my junior male is a young kid out of New Zealand called Luke Griffin, just a full throwback style. He reminds me of Ian Crane uh, and Simon Robbo kind of mixed in as one. Uh, rad little group, goofy footer there. So, yeah, he'll be dropping a clip soon. So, hopefully, um, it's stab premium worthy and, and we'll give it a run. All right. Perfect. So, mine. I'll go in, uh, I guess, reverse order to yours. Male Junior. I've got all day Dylan Wilcoxon. He's basically a 12-year-old kid who grew up on Kandui Island, and I was able to watch him surf for a few weeks this year and was just blown away. Um, I've never seen a kid that young, that comfortable in the barrel, and just the way he like reads waves and kind of like congeals his body to the shape of the barrel. Like I've just never seen... It's like John John-esque, and yeah, I just, I've never seen somebody his age doing that. So um, yeah... How good he can get, I have no idea, but it seems pretty limitless. And the waves that I saw him get this year were better than any other kid. So, yeah, he's my male junior. Female junior, um, this is a weird one because technically Katie Simmers is a junior, but I feel like (laughs) making the CT kind of just elevates you to that next level. So to me, the female that was kind of the most junior while still blowing minds was Aaron Brooks. just for all the reasons I stated before and like I just think that she kind of fits that mold of like the future of women's progression so I'm going to give that one to Aaron uh best edit I've got Sway by Josh Kerr um I'm blown away by Josh for so many reasons like just the the whole arc of his career is incredible from like air guy to CT veteran and then he gets off tour and gets on weird boards and starts doing the best surfing of his life (laughs) um but this edit in particular, I don't know why it just grabbed me. I guess I'm like personally starting to get more interested in boards like that. So this was 
um, yeah, probably just part of that process. But seeing the surfing he was able to do on these like strange twin fins and stuff, I was like, wow, you really don't have to sacrifice much, if anything, uh, when it comes to explosive surfing. Like he's doing bigger turns than ever. He's doing just about as big of airs as ever, getting unbelievably barreled. So that one really just captured me. And for best film, I am going with Snapped 4. Um, I I guess I'm a little bit biased in this one, um, but I just, you know, people have complained about the, the editing on it or whatever, and, like, yeah, it's definitely a very basic sort of approach to compiling a surf film. But that being said, what Logan was able to do is basically herding 15 different cats that are located all around the world uh, in the middle of a pandemic, and he managed to have them not post their best clips for two years on Instagram so that we could have this 50-minute spectacle. Um, and the surfing in it is just fucking unbelievable. So that was kind of like the biggest blockbuster film of the year, and to me, for that reason, probably my favorite. So that's it. Those are our picks for the Stab Surf for the year. How are you, uh, how are you feeling about them now that you've seen a few different people roll out with theirs? Oh, I'm always shattered. I'm always. I look at it and go... Fuck, I've missed that person or whatever. But I'm also super humbled to even be asked. Like, I don't know, I'm just fucking surf nerd from the Gold Coast and all of a sudden I'm getting asked to throw my opinion down, which I absolutely love having an opinion. So, um, yeah, it's cool. Um, It's a great idea, obviously. um, You know, uh, something that kind of feel like we should have been doing for longer, you know, now that it's happened a few years in a row now. um, Probably need to give a tip of a hat to Thrasher there again, but stoked that we have our own version of it and um yeah fuck snap four like talking about making you want to go surf there's some incredible waves in that particularly in hawaii you know josh Moniz, benji brand like you said the fact they held those clips for so long and no one else was posting them that's next level uh i think he would have had to heard 15 packs of stray cats because each surfer has a film or two and it's it'd be a major task so yeah big shout out to chucky there and Stoked that we got to watch it on the Goldie, and yeah, I'm glad you voted for it, because I forgot about it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, I think that's it for this week. Um, What do you say next week we get back on here, and we discuss the 2022 rookie class. There's there's 14 rookies, biggest class ever in WSL history, and I think that they deserve a proper breakdown and um, maybe a bit of speculation on how they might do. Should we go for Derek Hind power rankings? Oh. Ooh, you're going to get us in trouble, Stace. (laughs) Fuck off. You're the one that gets us in trouble. All right. Thank you, Stacey, and thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, This has been another week of The Drop. Again, if you want to submit your surf sins or Kelly Slater stories, you can send them to Danny or Buck. That's Danny at RollingYouth.com, Buck at RollingYouth.com. You can also send them to me if you want. I'd love to listen to them as well. And otherwise, we'll see you next week.